Rodney, what's up, dude? Compassion is free. Hi, man. Mm. Compassion is free. Everybody can get some. Everybody, Everybody can, can give some. some. It ain't gonna yep. hurt. Ain't. It might hurt. It might yeah. hurt in the like, ego a little bit. Like that's the thing, and it doesn't hurt to give compassion. It may feel wrong, but like you said, I mean that's that's ego at its finest. It's telling you, I want to be mad about this or whatever it might be. So it doesn't hurt to give compassion. It actually feels a lot better to just give compassion. That's it. And on to the show. Welcome back to the More in Common Podcast. I am your co-host, Keith. With my man Rodney. What's happening? He gets into it there, like boom, right into your eardrums, right off the top. I'm sorry for that. But I want to talk about compassion because we, Keith and I, are here talking about compassion, having compassionate conversations. And for those who don't know, compassion is a thing, an act of love, kindness, mercy, grace that you can give and lend to other people just because they're other people. Not because you like them, not because you agree with them just because they're a person that be it and we're about to get into a real cool conversation where we actually talk a little bit about compassion yeah uh, michelle winterstein boy this conversation is packed um we talk about a lot of things from social media and its role in society to individuals role in participating in social media to being one of a lineage of entrepreneurial females. Um, so talk there's just the so power much. of example. We talk I, about we, clubhouse. I mean, we talk about marketing and branding, which is her core her um, business. Or her bailiwick. Yeah. It's an amazing conversation. Like you want to talk about nuance and depth. This is that conversation. And I'm excited to bring it to you. So with that. It is. Well, with that, I'm going to remind you to get over to moreincommonent.com. That's our website. That's where you can find all the things we're doing. Just get out there, check it out. But you know what? Let's go get into this conversation. Let's go. Ring it a ding. To bring it back to the girl boss uh, thing, a friend of mine hosted a room on, on Clubhouse called Ending the Girl Boss Trope. And mm -hmm. she was super critical because she says she feels like her, the light bulb was turned on and all of a sudden she was exposed to all of the patriarchy and misogyny and horrible things that happen within the girl boss atmosphere that really it's not nearly as empowering as we, we make it out to be and that it's a marketing ploy and we're, we're like, we're like pink business Barbie washing over a, a huge segment of the population that feels unseen and unheard and she just went like Whoa, nosedive down like she's like oh my gosh i can never use this terminology ever again and i said i think it's like there's so much more context than that and that's where i brought up like we can still be participants of 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 a culture and be critical of them i want to tell you about something pretty amazing that we stumbled upon a little ways back, we interviewed this amazing dude, Kwame Bowen, and he shared with me after the episode that his mother is a poet. And what's awesome about that is that he has all of her writings and all her poems, but what he doesn't have is her reading them. That inspired Keith and I to then start recording videos for our daughters. And as we started recording those videos, we started running into the challenges, the challenges of where are we going to send them to our daughters? How are we going to get them to them? Where are we going to save them? Is it going to be Google Drive? Is it going to be OneDrive? And then along came GiftPod. It's an audio memory that you can record and give as a private podcast. What they're going to do is edit, add music, and produce the audio that you provide them into a professional podcast that you can share with your family members for any purpose. We use it for our daughters in the future. All right, so check it out. In the write-up for this podcast, you're going to see a link to GiftPod. If you use promo code MIC10, you're going to get a discount. And uh, leave some amazing memories for your friends, family, loved ones, maybe for yourself. Why, why don't you time capsule this for yourself? I don't know. So check them out.
giveagiftpod.com. MIC10 promo code. So before we get into this conversation, let's tell you a little bit about Michelle. Michelle, aka MKW, is the brand designer and creative director behind MKW Creative Company, a freelance brand design firm helping to define, design, build, and grow vibrant brands for social media-minded entrepreneurs. The MKWCC brand is dedicated to designing original, unique, and bold brands for today's entrepreneurs and first-time business owners. Her style is bright, it's casual, it's honest, but also, as she likes to put it, a little sassy, which reminds her to be thankful she has a good, done a good job that aligns passion, purpose, and personality every damn day. She is passionate about creating communities around the themes of branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship, whether it's recording episodes for her Kiss My Aesthetic podcast, interviewing fellow entrepreneurs through Design Live, or co-hosting networking events with Level Community. She truly believes everyone benefits when businesses in our communities thrive. She is a foodie who loves to travel. She lives in San Diego, California with her Yellow Lab Wilson. And you can find her at mkcreative.co on every major social platform, including Clubhouse. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be here. Welcome, I'm very excited to have have you here. So we have talked... We've talked to a lot of people on our podcast. Um, I think we're over 120 people now, 112 episodes as of this recording. We've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, people who definitely have found a path on their own or exploring one or whatever the case. And one of the most consistent through lines in any person who is willing to take that leap is support from their mm-hmm. family. Now, you take that a step further. And we've talked a lot about representation as well. Your great-grandmother, your grandmother, your mother, your sister, yourself, coming straight out of college, have all started their own businesses. Being a person who is now 38, starting his own business in an effort to demonstrate to my kids that there are there is a different way what was the effect of having that lineage? Like this is generational, um, especially from a female in your family, not just dad. Mm-hmm. What was that like on you growing up? What was that experience? And and that, what type of impact did that have on you? Yeah, you know, it wasn't as overt or, or obvious. I think I kind of take it for granted, like you said, is um, I actually growing up, my parents did like a flip-flop. My dad worked a corporate job um, doing marketing. My mom was stay-at-home mom. And then she picked up her side hobby of interior design. And a friend told her, hey, I would pay you to come to my house. And then she learned boots on the ground. And so then they did a total flip-flop around middle school age for me. And my mom is now runs the company. And my dad now works with my mom. So that was her entrepreneurship story. And I remember going to work with mom at age 12, 13, 14 years old when she bought her first red Volvo convertible with the money she'd made from interior design. And it was wake up in the morning, go do a workout, go meet some clients, head over to home goods, do some emails, and then come back at the end of the day and kind of debrief your day and get ready for the next one. And so for me, that was working. That's, that was my, my ideation at like 12, 13 years old of like, Oh, this is what it means to work. Like you can go get a manicure in the middle of the day. Like so long as you get your work done like that, you can have whatever lifestyle you want. And so it never really was ingrained in me, the idea of like going to an office and like doing the corporate nine to five shtick, because that's just wasn't my example. Um, And my parents were flipping houses together for a while. Um, So that was kind of my mom's story. My aunt is a veterinarian. My grandmother was a uh, laser and aesthetics nurse after being an emergency room nurse for like decades. And then my great grandmother also was an interior designer, but there was enough of this like gap between so my mother and her grandmother, that they kind of learned from each other, but the world was so different in their 60-year, 70-year age gap um, Mm -hmm. that it really kind of, we've all kind of found our own way independently. My sister's now a wedding planner. Um, So we we all kind of went in our different different lanes, but they weirdly connect. Is there an 
active encouragement towards going toward an entrepreneurial route or is it just osmosis? I want to say osmosis, but I think my parents were really smart in parenting us that to prioritize lifestyle, like prioritize the kind Mm. of life you want to live and then find the work that supports the life that you want and not the other way around. Um, I think that like they are big fans of family vacations and spending time outside and exercising and family time. And all of those were very prioritized in our upbringing. And so was um, philanthropy and giving back and finding ways to help people. That was very encouraged. Um, But we were entrepreneurial, all of us from like a very young age. Like I was always crafting and selling things to my friends. And um, they taught us even at a young age, like how to budget. They gave us, my mom was giving us like clothing allowance at age 10 to say, Hey, you got to figure out how to buy your school supplies, your backpack, your socks, your shoes, and the clothes you want. So if you want to blow it all on your $120 Roxy backpack, that's on you, but you're not going to have clean socks for the new school year. <laughs> so it was really cool. I think my, my parents were really um, creative in that way and they wanted to give us a lot of autonomy really young. So I think that lends itself towards entrepreneurship. How, how, how did they prioritize lifestyle? So you said vacations and you, you said all these things. Did they actively talk about it or was it just, this is what they, this is what you did. So this is how you saw it. I think the latter, it was kind of a work hard, play hard, but, um, if it weren't for my mom actively planning our vacations, like we would have never gone on them. It's not really my dad's personality to go plan a beautiful vacation somewhere, but my mom would be on vacation planning the next vacation. She's like, Oh, next time let's go (laughs) here. Let's let's do this. And, and I'm very much that way. My mom and I on every personality test are rank exactly the same, which is so Mm -hmm. funny. Um, family time too. I'm one of five girls in my family. So we're seven altogether and four, four dogs now. So there's a, we have a lot of fun. Uh, the vacation thing, it's, I, I get your dad on that. I love vacations, but planning them. There's this fascinating component of, of your lived experience and what I'm hearing that it doesn't always have to be talked about, but that example of just seeing it and mm-hmm. being it without having a, a counter narrative thrown at you because you want to go a certain way. Um and so many people who want to be entrepreneurs don't necessarily have that as even one example, let alone a generational example. So it ends up having to be a conversation of support. And there is a big struggle. But for you, like you started your own business right out of college. Was that 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 was that even a question for you? Uh, I went to college thinking I wanted to be a museum curator. I loved art history. I loved fine arts. I didn't really classify myself as an artist. I wasn't that like tortured, tortured soul that had to communicate myself through art. So I felt kind of disassociated from my fellow like art students in the art department who like had these super traumatic stories and were making this really impactful personal art. I had a very great upbringing. And so I didn't feel like I was going to use that as my, my voice and my art in that way. And so I kind of felt disassociated from that artist stereotype. Um, also I walked in as like the blonde sorority girl in the art department and they're like, Oh, are you lost? Uh, cause I did not fit that narrative, but oh, I wanted, <laughs> yeah. And I, I really wanted to study business also, but the way my university was organized is it was the school of business and then it was school of arts and sciences. And you could not really cross pollinate those classes. So I ended up going into the art department, but then was hosting things like speaker series and studio visits. And I wanted to host events and pull in artists and have lectures. And I, I just was too bored really with just the curriculum as is that I was just asking the department, like, can I do this? And they're like, yeah, sure. So I ended up making the logo for the art department, um, was one of my very first logos I ever made because I was looking at it and I said, you know, we need to post on social media. Nobody knows we're, we're in the basement building. It's like, no one even knows we're down here. Like no one knows, no one else on campus knows about us. And that was my whole soapbox. Um, so I really thought I wanted to be a curator, I got an internship at a museum. It was lovely, but uh, I was upstairs at a desk and I was working with outdated computer programs. I was not near the art. I was not near the artists. And that was like, bing, this is not what I want to do. So I had a jailbroken version of Illustrator on my laptop that I got from a friend and started making posters for people and cool graphics and trying to emulate things I saw on social media. And um, at the time, the only other job I had had was babysitting and I was making $12 an hour. And my mom, as a business owner, was referring me to friends. And I said, I don't know what to charge. And she says, charge more than you do babysitting. 
And so I started at $15 an hour for an entire year. And that was at age 20. So I started between my junior and senior year of college. Uh, and that's was kind of how my business started. The nobody knows we're here. You created uh-huh. the logo for the art department, even though you weren't one of the artists. Mm-hmm. This definitely informs what you do now. But you said your dad's at marketing and your mom was interior design. Yeah. So my, my dad worked for a software company, um, for decades and he was helping with the marketing side of things. He managed a team. Um, my mom is a child development major, which I think is where she gets a lot of her great parenting, uh, stuff from and kind of did interior design as a hobby, like did it for fun. We got to change our room every two years growing up to totally different, like out of the box themes. And, um, yeah, that's kind of their background. But when I was going to college and all my sisters now too, they're like, study what interests you and the rest will kind of fall into place. It was never like, you have to be a lawyer, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a scientist. Like we never had that kind of pressure. And I'm so grateful for that because we've all kind of found our way in different directions. It seems like those two things are, there's pieces of them in what you do today. Absolutely. Um, I think there's a, such an example that, a lot of parents or people in general don't realize the effect, especially parents don't realize the effect that they have on their kids. The, the nine to five come home, be unhappy is something you observe, mm-hmm. right? It, you observe it, you see it. It's like, uh, I'm going to have to do that too. And that's what, you know, that's what you get into and it becomes this loop. Mm-hmm. And then we all end up having this conversation, pursue a passion, you know, mm-hmm. do these things. But the example that you have is a couple of things that I think a lot of entrepreneurs who are doing it like ourselves struggle with for the first time. First of all, it's your parents exercise the things that they cared about without putting the pressure of earned earnings on it. Like changing your room every two years. Your mom gets to just have fun with that and make it a game without the pressure of making money. The second thing that you learned is asking for money. Biggest entrepreneurial roadblock. Like it is the Mm -hmm. hardest thing to do is ask for money for something that you create. Mm -hmm. Like my stepfather, love him, is an artist and he's an Mm -hmm. amazing artist. He still struggles Mm -hmm. to ask, like to collect money for the things that you make. It's easy to collect a paycheck because that's something someone else is giving you for a job done. Sure. But it's not your own thing. And you got that example like super early. And it's not even a thing, I imagine, for you. Like the idea is like, oh, I created this. Like, pay me. Thank you. Have a nice Mm -hmm. day, right? Like Mm -hmm. that is an awesome example to receive. And I just think that's it's a representation's a thing. Like, especially that it was your mom, it wasn't just your dad being able to build that. I think that's I don't have a question in that. It's just something I representation plus example. I mean, we're kind of you're talking about parenting and the way they raised you to budget and to understand the making choices. There was, it wasn't so much a lecture. It was more of like, here's the example and, and you get to try it and the power of example. I I think Keith, even you just, you said it earlier. You were like, Oh, it, you, just, you were just around it. And, yeah. and it seems like that's far more powerful than somebody saying, well, you need to go do this. That actually does lead me to a question is your mom mm-hmm. going from stay at home. Mom, this mm-hmm. is a, journey many moms struggle with mm-hmm. stay at home mom to billable hours yeah i imagine that wasn't hard for her um you know i it? think she her whole life she just wanted to be a mom like that was mm. her whole she went to college she wanted to be a mom she was like a teenager she's like already wanted to be a mom and i mean there's five of us so like she, clearly she enjoyed it um so she really really liked that but I think she also liked her own autonomy too. So mm-hmm. she would, even before she started her business, she would have a babysitter come Tuesdays and Thursdays for five or six hours just so she could go do her mom stuff and like go to the grocery store, go drop off the dry cleaning, like be able to go run errands and not have yeah. like five little people grabbing at her. And she used to get shit from other moms. Like, I can't believe you're a stay at home mom and you're getting a nanny. And she's like, yeah. Like I need a break, you know? So that was always something that she did really early on, or she would go to the gym every day and we would go in the gym childcare. I still remember this, like being in the gym childcare at like age 10, 11 and being dropped off, like in the summertime and sitting there. And my mom would just take her time, do her workout, come in, do full hair dry, full makeup, get fully dressed and then take us and leave. But that she had like three, four hours to herself. 
And she made that a priority. And I think that that's something too, that, I mean, other moms that I know don't always do that. And I think that there's some jealousy there. Um, but it takes prioritization and it takes intention to be like, no, this is my time and you guys can wait. Well, this, and then it makes her a better mom, you know? This plays into another thing that I see from my wife and some other moms that I, I know closely, self-care. Like that mm-hmm. idea of you first and actually not you first to be selfish, but you first actually will make everybody else better because you're going to be coming from a healthy, happy place. Yeah, it's the idea of you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you're going to be running on empty, you can't help anyone be better. That's this total uh, change of topic on mom shaming and nanny, like the nanny shaming idea. Yeah, Part of it is a guilt, right? It Mm -hmm. is a guilt of I need to be there for my kids providing Mm -hmm. that. Right. And, and I totally have compassion for that. Um, there is a curiosity I have having five of you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know if you all have talked about the experience as five children that you Mm -hmm. all had having a nanny two days a week, Mm -hmm. getting dropped off at daycare while your mom goes and does all these things how did your mom maintain a positive environment for you to, for the five of you? So it, there wasn't a negative impact or was there a negative impact for any one of you? I mean, I don't find that there was a negative impact at all. I think again, it set the, it set the standard that like you take care of yourself first and mm-hmm. then you t- can take care of everyone else. Um, but I think it's something too. It's like in a more modern context, this is like the hustle culture. This is girl boss culture, which is extremely toxic in my opinion, um, which is a system that I benefit from of being blonde, white female entrepreneur. That's like, those are my people. But I think there's, it can go, it can really easily like fall into being toxic and being, um, shameful and being comparative in that way, competitive, um, that I think I'm not a mom myself. So I I haven't crossed that bridge yet, unless you count being a dog mom, which is not the same. Sorry, dog (laughs) people. Um, I, yeah, I, I definitely like have so much respect for parents and like striking that balance of, of being an example, but also giving your kids freedom, but also maintaining your own mental health. Like there's a lot on the plate for sure. I will say, Mm -hmm. I think everyone should have an animal before they have a human. Uh, yeah. Just just to see how they feel about that. (laughs) Just an animal. Yeah. Yeah. Start small, go Mm -hmm. goldfish. Like if, yeah. if you can't keep a goldfish alive, just know you're gonna, it's, they're, it's hard. They're a little fickle. Like, they're a little hard. I would go something with something a little more, uh, ability with a little bit more ability to handle different, different situations like a cat or a dog. Yeah. You just mentioned something interesting about the hustle culture, mom boss mm-hmm. culture. Um, it, that some of the toxic part and, and, and being honest that you, you actually benefit from some of that, like mm-hmm. if, your business. How do you think about that? How do you feel about that? And how do you how do you approach how you interface with that culture or that group? Yes. So I have to quote my middle sister on this one. She's 23. She's Are you the oldest? I'm the oldest. Yeah. Okay, just to make sure. My middle yeah. sister is very like idealistic, like utopia. This is what the world could be if everybody did XYZ kind of person. Mm-hmm. And um she, I think really likes the idea of socialism and me as a diehard capitalist, we tend to butt heads. Um, but she's very anti Amazon, anti Jeff Bezos, anti billionaires, eat the rich, blah, 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 all this stuff. Right. And I'm just like, okay, but isn't the best way to give opportunity to, to employ people like hire people that are super talented and like, make sure that you're legit and you're honest in your hiring practices and give people opportunity. Cause Equal opportunity does not mean equal outcome, but everyone should have equal opportunity is my belief. But she says, you, I give her crap for ordering on Amazon prime or having an iPhone. Right. I was like, okay, you're going to be on this high horse. Like if you're really going to go, then go like, live it, live this, your farm life, you live your best farm life, girl. And she (laughs) says, you can, you can be critical of a system and still participate in it. Meaning I can be critical of Jeff Bezos. I can be critical of Apple. I can be critical of social media and still have it like be an active participant in it. I don't need to like denounce it in order to take a stance. Um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. So I, uh, that's how I feel about girl boss culture. No, I love that. I, this, we're recording this in black history month. It will not be black history month when we release it, but 
uh, James Baldwin actually has a quote talking about how much he loves America. He he loves, and it's because of that love, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's because of that love that he demands the right to be able to criticize it. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, just because we love something, like for instance, I love the 49ers, but sometimes I don't like the play call. Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't like the decision made, but it doesn't mean I don't like it. Uh, and there's, it's there's the same as things. people who complain about politics, but then won't vote. It's like, okay, mm. you know, I, 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 I hear you and you're entitled to your opinion. Absolutely. But like, in order to have such a strong say, I feel like you really do need to be an active participant. It's the Brene Brown idea of like, unless you're in the arena with me fighting the battles, I don't really need your opinion from the cheap seats either. So either you're going to come down here and fight with me, or I'm not going to weigh your opinion to the same as the people who are here doing the work. That opens up an outstanding dialogue of where that line is. So let's take your sister as an example. Mm -hmm. Many of us, this guy included, have opinions about more than we need to, right? And that energy that we bring into the world to say, Apple, we'll use Apple as an example, I'm going to be critical, I'm going to be negative, but then I'm going to have an iPhone. And most of that criticism and negativity is going to be around probably two things. I'm going to produce a whole bunch of products that everybody has to buy all the time. Capitalism, profiteering, that's what it feels like. Waste. Then you have you know outsourcing, cheap product in China, suicide nets, all that fun stuff. But then my purchase of it promotes that. And I'm actually not doing anything about it by complaining about it. Right. Mm -hmm. This kind of goes to I'm not in the arena. Mm -hmm. I'm simply holding an opinion. Mm -hmm. So where is that line? Right. Of at a macro level, not trying to shit on your sister here. No. Like and and I hope she doesn't take it this way. She's just going to be our avatar for this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) You you can just switch it to me. like Like where is that line? Like, do we think there is one? Um. That's, I think, a really good question. I think it's blurry. I think it depends on the issue. I think it depends on your voice in the whole thing. What is your voice and when do you use your voice and how you use your voice and in what context is really important Um, because it can't just be about content. It's about context. So, um, yeah, like yelling at me about about the waste of creation of iPhones. um, Yes, I'm interested, but am I going to change my exact behavior today? Probably not. Um, but if you had this with a bunch of other people and there's this social proof around it and there's this education component and there was like, I guess I'm, I'm more interested in the people that take that passion or that, that one issue. And then they go and say, I'm going to do something every single day to make sure that this doesn't continue or that this does continue in this direction. Or if I can change one person's mind about this, then that'll be good. Like, I don't care if it's micro or macro, but to have such strong opinions, but then also not do the action. I think that's what is missing most of the time for me. Rodney. I think, I think I agree with that. Um, and I think it's probably okay to hold the opinions. I think it's what you do with them. Like if you're just complaining about it all day, then I think that's where, maybe that's where the line is for me. Like if you're, because there's a lot of things I don't like, mm-hmm. um, but am I on a soapbox about them all day? No, because I realize I won't get anything done. And I think, probably the best way to go about affecting change is to to be it and to try and like yes to your point work on the things that i can affect and yes i think some of the so even some of the groups that i'm a part of as a member or even as a leader like sometimes people get on other people and i think this is where some groups get toxic is like when everybody in the group doesn't have the same focus and my thought is you know maybe we're 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 greater as as a as a group because we have different focus focuses foci, foci. <laughs> we have different foci um and and that makes us stronger because one person can't focus on if, if that one person cared about amazon and mm-hmm. global warming and reforestation like you can't actually do all of the things and by the way eat and work out and work on your mental health and have balance it, it, it would it seems like it'd be good to have a collective to to spread those things out um but yeah so i think i, I think i agree 
Ahead, I Michelle. think it's it's the grace and humility of understanding that not everybody is going to number one care or number two think the way that you do. So I think that sometimes my gripe with people that are hyper passionate to the where it dips into the negative complaining is number one, if they're not actually doing the action that they're saying, and number two, they're not giving the other people the space and humility and an opportunity to explain things from their point of view or to say like, Hey, this isn't important to me. And here's why, like, I think sometimes it gets a little bit soapboxy. And when it does get soapboxy, then you start to dip into like, okay, if you're not going to do the action, it's performative. And like, we're talking a lot about performative allyship these days, which I think is rightfully should be called out um, because there are, everybody could be doing better on a lot of fronts. It's also becoming like a social faux pas. And there's a lot of situations where, where I think people miscalculate how they would like to respond. And it just gets, I mean, there's so much to unpack there so much. Um, But I think I'm really inspired by people that take action instead of just Mm. talk. I think it is an energy. So if I'm going to go into a situation, again, pick on iPhone, Apple, and I'm going to bitch about an iPhone and Apple. And you come back to me and say, but you have an Apple. And my answer would be, that's not the point. I'm now immediately putting out this conflict-oriented negative energy that's either going to put you on the defensive check you out or create some sort of negative space. And you've contradicted yourself. And I've you've become hypocritical myself. of your whole message. And so ultimately now, if you come back to me and say, but you have an iPhone, I say, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I don't know. And like, and then you create a positive space that can create an ongoing collaborative discussion that may mm-hmm. not lead to any action whatsoever. I may end up getting rid of my iPhone as a result, or you may end up getting rid of yours just because of my opinion on it, or nothing might happen. But at the end of the day, there's an acknowledgement, there's an understanding kind of to your point, Michelle, about grace, humility, and compassion. Like this space that we are all flawed. We all make mistakes. We all hold opinions that are contradictory to our actions. We all are a hypocrite in some form or fashion. So creating judgment of the space around us is that negative energy versus just letting it be what it is Mm. and finding ways to make it better if you so choose. But the thing that you don't want to do is make it worse. And and that's, I think, where the line is, is how much worse are you making it by -hmm. your action, thought, contradictions, or is it neutral to better? And that's, that's, I think the space that we could all hold a little bit easier and it's actually not too hard to do. Yeah. It's a lot harder to get Apple to stop manufacturing iPhones in China. Completely. Right. Completely. Completely. And we all agree that like, you know, sitting is the new smoking and screen time is going to ruin all of our brains. And like that we know a lot of these things. Right. But it's like, how, how willing are we to change our our habits or are we just going to adapt? Like, I think it's a really interesting conversation. And to bring it back to the girl boss uh, thing, a friend of mine hosted a room on, on Clubhouse called Ending the Girl Boss Trope. And Mm -hmm. she was super critical because she says she feels like her, the light bulb was turned on and all of a sudden she was exposed to all of the patriarchy and misogyny and horrible things that happen within the girl boss atmosphere that really it's not nearly as empowering as we, we make it out to be and that it's a marketing ploy and we're, we're like pink business Barbie washing over a a huge segment of the population that feels unseen and unheard. And she just went like, whoa, nosedive down. Like, she's like, oh my gosh, I can never use this terminology ever again. And I said, I think it's like, there's so much more context than that. And that's where I brought up, like, we can still be participants of, of, of a culture and be critical of them. Um, we can still be beneficiaries of a movement and be critical of it. An exceptional movie. It's called Dumplin' on Netflix Okay. with Jennifer Aniston. Yes. Okay, yes. That I haven't seen em- it, but I know of it. That embodies mm-hmm. this point, and I won't spoil it, but the idea of it is Jennifer Aniston, who is the mom of a heavy a teenager, mm-hmm. and but she runs beauty pageants. Mm-hmm. And so you can think about the dynamics that play out. It's a great movie. You can watch it. The daughter joins the pageant in protest, And there's a lot of judgment on pageants and all these other things. And her participation ends up changing the way you see pageants Mm. 
if they're inclusive, right? If they include different personalities and different, like, and they do some things in that, that you look at it and go, if that's the way it is, that's actually kind of cool. Got to make some changes on it. Like there's some big issues, but they can be a positive force. And it is very much that idea that we don't have to tear it all down because there are some really, really shitty components of it. But if we're not in the ring, going back to the metaphor, Mm -hmm. we can't change any of it. Right. And I think there are things, it's really interesting because I love paying attention to trends. I am a pop culture junkie and I love Mm. kind of trying to predict how things are going to go. Um, But this week specifically is kind of, I think, the nail in the coffin for the Bachelor franchise. Um, And I think it's somewhat outdated. Like, I think we're going to look back in 10, 15 years from now and say, remember that show that used to be on TV where 25 (laughs) people would compete to date the same person? And it was like, because on the basis, it's the horrible concept. It's It's horrible. And no one is really on that show for the purpose of being on the show anymore. Like, everyone just wants to be Instagram famous. So I think it's It's just like, and I think the same is going to happen with this girl boss movement. Like I think the same is going to happen. I've, I've been a part of hand dozens of female only networking groups, which like is defeating the purpose of inclusivity. Like, hello, like we're going to cut out 50% of the population just because they're not, they don't identify as female. Like what that to me. And I think also because I'm not a product of like, the eighties, nineties, like business professional corporate woman who like had, was, had to like experience some of this me too stuff. Like I didn't ever experience that. I don't feel that I'm disadvantaged coming out of college, being an entrepreneur as a female. But then again, like, I think there are, there are opportunities where I'm treated differently, but I think that the, the women's only clubs, like the girls clubs, if there were a men's group that like were a men's business networking group, I mean, we would be like, burn down the town. Here's the pitchforks. Like, hell no. So the double standard there is so striking. And I think it's going to be something we look back on and be like, oh my God, I can't believe that that was like the norm. I think, well, one you, one of the things from what you guys said prior is, you know, nothing is, even something that's great isn't perfect. Like nothing's all one thing mm-hmm. and nothing's all rubbish. Like maybe we can take sp- spare parts. Mm-hmm. So do you think there is a positive side of the girl boss movement or the idea or female groups, all female? Of course. Groups? Of course. I think, I think females are intensely loyal. I think like if we go to the psychology of it too, like women buy from other women and when they do, they support them 100%. Like majority mm-hmm. of my clientele is female. Um, mm-hmm. but that being said, I don't want to close myself off as a business owner. Additionally, like I think that there's so much to be gained from a male perspective on all things, just like I would hope that males consider there's a lot to be gained from a female perspective. So I am more of like level the playing field. I don't really feel that we need to like in the particularly in the women in business opportunity. I don't think we need to make reparations just maybe because I haven't experience that. And maybe that's my youth showing, but I haven't noticed this huge gap between myself as an entrepreneur in my, at 27 years old versus like a male equal to me. Like, I think we've had a pretty similar come up, which is great, Mm -hmm. but that's obviously a factor of like the progress that has been made over the Mm -hmm. history. So it's like this weird thing of like, how much do you acknowledge that like there was wrongdoing versus how much do you say, okay, now like we can pretty much all start from the same starting line, knowing that it will never 100% be equal. Like I know that as well. I'm not naive enough to think that. Um, And well, and even like kind of what you're saying kind of for me it brings up this question of responding in kind and this is something i've thought Mm -hmm. about a lot as a black dude like well yes there's all white groups or there's all male groups or there's all like does that mean that's the way i should do it like in order to get back and to keith's point about energy like is the energy that i'm putting in this is it negative or positively directed you know i think what mandela did in south africa was very Mm -hmm. much like okay like instead of just like reversing apartheid, let's step to a place where we can all find some grace and humility and, mm-hmm. and like undo things that were done by going to version next. Like what right. can this be? So much to unpack. So, um, <laughs> where there, we go? I'm telling you guys, we, we're going to be here all Wait, day. Um, there are two components to this dynamic that I think are really important to talk about. Cause I am, I am a hundred percent okay with 
women only groups and black only groups and all these things. I am not okay with men only groups and white only groups mm-hmm. because that is the power dynamic. Like it's, the norm. it's mm-hmm. just, you know, go to a golf club. There are still men only golf clubs, right? It stands for gentlemen only ladies forbidden. Yeah. And the reality is it's easy for me to find white men only things because that's just what it this just the dynamic like that just mm-hmm. happens it's just a natural thing so to find groups and create groups that that represent who you are i as a whatever physical identity that you have i think is a positive thing um and at the same time it also depends on what you're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. is it a social group or is it a business group? Mm-hmm. Well, if it's a business group, are we able to accomplish our goals by simply having a an equal responsive effort, right? Like just having women in the room is am I going to achieve where we want to achieve? Maybe you are, right? Maybe that's what mm-hmm. it is. But I think that level of evaluation does need to happen and it doesn't need to be so myopic. That being said, there was there's also this component of of exclusion mm-hmm. where many um underserved communities women i include in that don't often necessarily exclude men whereas in the history of time men have excluded everybody right white men have intentionally excluded everybody black mm-hmm. people aren't allowed here in, in particular. And there was a, a comment a professor said one time, he was talking to Candace Owens on this podcast. It was a wonderful conversation um, just because being able to see those two points of view side by side. She makes my side. blood boil. Oh, me too. Personally. Um, <laughs> so many ways. But he made the point. It's like, yes, I am okay with um, historically black colleges because historically black colleges don't say white people can't enroll. Right. And they do. Right. And and they allow white people to enroll and they do. And in some cases they over promote to white people and then it causes issues because they're trying to get on the map or something. And it's a frustration within the ecosystem. Whereas white only places have excluded everything. Yeah. Right. Excluded white people. So that dynamic is, I think, an important call out to the group. Fair. But there there is another piece to this. I was thinking about this the other day as it relates to like policing. Mm -hmm. We think about these things in terms of the historical framework in which all of these things have been been developed. We as individuals in these groups really, and this goes to your point, Rodney, need to sit back and say, let's radically think about how different it can be. Mm -hmm. And then let's take the leadership role in changing the dynamic all together. Like, let's not even think about groups. Like, let's think about it so differently than it has historically been thought about. And that's the only way that changes. Well, and I, I would even say, like, let's not use the word radical because I don't want to scare, like, old white dudes. I don't want to scare, <laughs> like, like, you don't have to use the I word use radical. As an example, like, yeah. I, yeah. I have fortunate, I've been fortunate enough to work with like a couple different teams at SpaceX on some projects. And like, the way they approach projects is like super dope. And it's so simple. But it's mm-hmm. like, why can't we do this with a lot of things? They they look at it at, like they have a new project and they're like, all right, day one is today. And they don't pull in past data like we've done it like this. They pull in mm-hmm. past data to say like this is a fact, like yes, this is a thing, this is not a thing. But to build the new thing, you can't use the foundation of the old. Just like start and if there are things yep. that work from it, it's like, cool, let's evaluate that. And then maybe we bring it into what we're working on now. But it's a, it is a, just like, if you were going to build this today from the ground, what would it look like? Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't mean, and I know some people hear that and be like, oh, but you're going to destroy what's there. Not necessarily, because there are good parts that are in right. whatever right. system is now. But we could we could honestly evaluate it versus just saying, well, you want to destroy the police and you want to keep them like they are. And it's like, well, no, I think like there's some, there, it, it's not in the middle, but it's somewhere in between those two extremes that right. we probably should go. Maybe. And I think the same yeah. goes for a lot of things. I think that's how we do affect change in the long term is like starting over from scratch and wiping the board totally clean. Sometimes you miss on learning those opportunities 
that, that present that challenge, right. That challenge you to think differently. And, and my parents also told us growing up, like everything is a blessing or a lesson. So it's either a blessing, like it was amazing. That was awesome. This client was a blessing. This opportunity was a blessing. Um, today, the weather outside is a blessing or it's a lesson, right? Or so if you have only those two, um, it doesn't make it so that anything is happening to you. Like, I don't think any of us particularly have like very strong, like victim mentality in my family because everything is a, is a lesson, right? It's a breakup. Like you learn something, to, you learn something about yourself. You have a client that goes sideways. You learn something about yourself. Like there's a lot of cool, like mental, and you're talking about energy here too, mental positioning of like, okay, this didn't go as planned. What did I learn? Mm-hmm. And how am I going to apply that moving forward? Cause if we just took everything that ever happened to us and when it went bad, just like wiped it, clean and forgot about it, then like it didn't serve a purpose for you. You're maybe might even make that mistake again. So why wouldn't you kind of take that and embrace it moving forward? Mindset, humility, and grace. Boom. Yeah. We would have solved it for everybody. (laughs) Have those things and you'll be fine. A positive mindset. The other theme of growing up for us was be a good person, do a good job, Hmm. but be a good person first and do a good job second. Like there's no hacks. There's no like crazy. Oh, do this. You crack the code, blah, blah, blah. Be a good person. Do a good job. Um, I actually, you know what I want to do, Michelle, you had mentioned clubhouse earlier and I want to go mm-hmm. back to clubhouse cause I'm, I'm fascinated with clubhouse right now. And I think I figured out what I want to do with it personally. And can kind you of explain as an to the audience since clubhouse um, is so yeah. new? Yeah. Well, yeah. Do, do you have a sure. strong understanding of what it is? You want to explain? Yeah. Yeah. So clubhouse is an audio only social networking platform is kind of how I've heard it described mm-hmm. from the organizers. The idea is, or the experience for me and how I describe it to my clients is it's as if you're showing up to a 24 seven conference where you can jump into any room at any time on any topic and hear what people have to say and also participate in real time. So it kind of blends this like podcasting plus live streaming plus conversational. Um, It's also closing that gap between who we perceive as like celebrity and average Joe. So like Elon Musk is very active on Clubhouse. I mean, I have opinions about him too. Um, Mm -hmm. And Clubhouse I think has tremendous potential and i think it's the spider-man quote right with the great with great uh oh gosh guys helping here great power comes great responsibility there's a ton of power Mm. there's a ton of influence there's a ton of opportunity but there's also i think from a business standpoint there's a lot of responsibility on making sure that you're in the right place with the right people and you're 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 being a good person and doing a good job because i think there's a lot of people that aren't um and that's what scares me about clubhouse but like I, I said, I didn't even anticipate to take this here, but let's talk about the responsibility of organizations like Twitter, Facebook, mm, Instagram, mm-hmm. TikTok, uh, now Clubhouse, and and privacy, and then also First Amendment rights. Like, so what what is your take on that? And then I'll, we can go into some other Clubhouse stuff. But what what's your take? This on? is a delicious topic because I think that. I'm a big fan of like play by the rules of the playground. If you don't like the rules, go play in another playground, which sounds very closed minded and very maybe like not pro freedom of speech, but also you're using this platform for free. Like you're using these apps for free. You're having access to this information for free. So I think that we need to consider that as well. I'm very pro side of the business owner and I'm very pro Twitter on this one of like, yeah, this violates community guidelines. Like their community guidelines are in place for a reason and it's to protect the community. And I think it's absolutely uh, the responsibility of the social platform to to take its community's well-being and put that at the highest regard. Um, yeah. So I'm all for that. And I think if you can't play nice, then then this, I'm really sorry, but there's not a space for you here. It um, is. It's very different than if the gov- if U.S. government had sure. a Twitter site sure. and was silencing brown people. Absolutely. You know, like Absolutely. <laughs> silencing people that they just didn't like. Like that would be one thing. But if it's an organization that has rules, like you sign up mm-hmm. for, you you show up and you, you, click, you actually check, have to click. You I accept, accept the terms and conditions, whether you read them or not. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a, it's not really a, a first a first amendment topic, but it gets conflated with that, I think, because maybe people yes. don't think about that. Well, and I think social media is like to the nth degree. Like it used to be that that 
you know, you'd have like crazy Steve in your community. Right. And like crazy Steve, which you'd see him at the post office and be like, Oh, the earth is flat. And be like, yeah, crazy Steve. Like, sure, dude. The problem is like crazy Steve finds crazy Jan finds all these other people. And now with social media, there you have these whole communities of people that are all collecting around the same idea, which is beautiful, but at the same time, dangerous, I think. And then now you have conferences and conventions and now all these people are having kids with each other and they're convinced that the earth is flat and the moon landing was fake and all, and conspiracy theories and QAnon. So I think we all have a responsibility as a community to like hear people out, but also know when to draw the line of like, this is bordering on dangerous. Yeah. It's um, Rodney. I don't know if there's more that you want to add on your opinion on that. It's a good question. Probably, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Yeah. I think um, the first amendment one is, is always a fascinating argument that people make. Um, First amendment does not apply to private business. If uh, Mm -hmm. you walk into a store and start yelling fuck out loud in front of uh, all the patrons, they can ask you to leave. It's just that simple. Right. Right. Um, So I do think social media carries one responsibility and that is to manage the distribution of information. Mm -hmm. Like if QAnon is reaching enough people, it needs to be shut down. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it is socially dangerous um, Mm -hmm. in the same way that if your building catches on fire, you do hold a responsibility to get that put out before it spreads to the next building. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, As much as you want to save your own stuff too. So there is a, a, a social responsibility in my opinion, that being said, let me ask a question on that part. Yeah. Uh, And I am in no me, no way a QAnon supporter and or follower, but let's say I were. Yeah. I would say that this is true information. Like this is the truth, the fact. So how do we, where's the line? And I think it's probably something like each social network should have a, I don't know, an ethics committee that decides on its own, like this is okay in our community and this isn't. And then I signing up can decide if I want to sign up. Like they seem to really like QAnon. Is that for me? But like, what do you two think for? I I think I think you ex- you expose the gray area in the land of free market economics. In that, I believe if Twitter wants to maintain the moral high ground that another platform can spin up, i.e., Parler, and there is your landing space, and Parler says we're totally cool with QAnon. So people who go to QAnon or are interested in it or don't care, they can go to Parler and that's their platform. And I know there's that counter argument that says, well, then it's going to spread no matter what. Well, it's going to spread no matter what. Like, yeah, in subreddits, that, in the dark web, in the whatever. Slippery like, slope uh, arguments yeah. are just... They're, they're, yeah. they're, slippery slope arguments are just, are just a cop-out to actually arguing a point, in my opinion. Um, so mm. when you go to Parler... Amazon shut you down. It's free market. They get to choose if they shut you down, whether it's silencing or not, whether you want to call it whatever. That's what it is. I'm not entirely a free market capitalist by any means. I do believe government intervention. And I think this is where government steps in and says, listen, guys, you need to control the flow of information. Maybe you reach a point of size. May I don't yeah. know what that is. I don't know if what it's What do you a think, Michelle? Of- it comes down to... I'm more about the individual on this, I think. Like, I think that we can absolutely, like, debate the role of government, the role of these huge companies, the role of media. But I think it really needs to come down to how are we empowering people and educating them to start to make Mm -hmm. these judgment calls for themselves and really to treat people the way they want to be treated and Mm -hmm. to create a world that they want to see. Like, Like I said before, like, it's about creating equal opportunity, not equal outcomes. So, again, like, be a good person, do a good job. And if you want to start another social media app that doesn't have these limitations, that's totally behoove you to do that absolutely i'm all for it you want to have your own news network you want to start your own political party like yeah sure but make sure that it's again it's still operating within these general social constructs of like respect and and humility and grace and 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 i think that's where we lack and i don't know where on that personal level like as a society we've fallen out of touch with treating other people as as people and that there's this hierarchy or this competition or it's you're stupid and you're this and you're that and you voted like this so you must be that way or you said this so you're like this putting of people into 
boxes really easily. I think it's part survival of like, we have to make these quick judgment calls about people because we're getting information thrown at us at like lightning speed, but even faster than we're capable of. We're we're catching up to it. We're catching up to this flow of data and we're slowly, super slowly. Mm -hmm. Like we're still, but your, your thought on teaching people how to process data and critical thinking skills like you can't really make somebody want to do research or want to like look into something and frankly i don't i don't do it all the time sometimes i just hey you know what bob said it i'm in like until the moment it doesn't work and it's like you know what that didn't work um it happened to me on clubhouse i i really um like was driving well with this woman in a room and she was great. She's like, oh my gosh, we should host something together. And I was like, yeah, totally. And so we hosted a room together. And then a few days later, I got an Instagram message from someone who follows me and they say, hey, how well do you really know this person? And I was like, I just hosted a clubhouse room with them. She's like, she just asked me for money and was like, I guess going around and finding everyone that followed me because she established her credibility aligning with me. And then now is going and because she sees that you have a successful business. So she's going after people that you. And I'm like, holy crap. I didn't even think about because here Clubhouse is supposed to tear down these walls of people who are scammy and shady. And I'm like, oh my God, I did not research this person. I just like took them at face value that, that they were who they said they were. And I'm like, holy crap. Same thing. I had a client come to me who was selling a product that I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Kind of in like the women's health, like a la Gwyneth Paltrow kind of space. And I threw it to my team and my, one of my team members wrote me like a six paragraph email. She's like, Michelle, she was hit with three lawsuits in 2020. Her product is banned in Canada. Like I, I, the copywriter will be taking myself out of this project. And I was like, no, thank you for sending to me because maybe I'm a natural optimist. Is that the copywriter that was recently on your podcast? Yeah, Emma. It's a really good episode. I'm like, I'm a little over halfway through it. She's super cool. Because I'm trying to learn. Um, You bring up a couple interesting points. I just want to jump in real quick. Because like one thing I think we have to think about, and we don't have to like solve it here, but like these social media platforms, they are free. Mm Mm-hmm. The thing is they're using us mm-hmm. as the their revenue stream. Our, we are their data. They, and we're creating their data and that data is making them money. So there's an aspect there. I think Wang, Mr. Wang had an interesting uh, concept about like how do we monetize ourselves? How do we use our data um, in the world? Is there an economy for that? And I think there probably is in Bitcoin and blockchain are working on that. But Clubhouse, they're doing the same thing. They're monetizing our data. Um I don't know that Clubhouse or any social platform can solve the most basic of social issues. Like what you're mentioning, like basically, I I forgot to say, like you basically nailed our brand. Like everything you just said about not putting people in boxes, loving people for being people. Like I don't have to like, I don't have to agree with you. I I don't even have to like you. I don't have to hang out with you, but I can respect you and love you as a person. But like Clubhouse, they're making money, but can they solve the issues of people scamming or no. i mean because that's that's happening on the streets out here in la like like that stuff's been going on forever we can't yeah, solve for the, the these platforms can't solve for the human condition and i think you said something interesting in there michelle about the individual choice we've gotten to this place with facebook twitter that they've gotten so big that we think that is the public square sure and you can't create mm-hmm. your own public square but we can and mm-hmm. the premise of solving this is a platform can say we're open you have whatever opinion you want a platform can say you can't have whatever opinion you want if you spew hate if you dox if you do all of these things you're out get out of here and i'm going to be open about that and people join and i think the biggest solve for all of this is is that data point to your point rodney is if, if we can say you can no longer monetize my data or the only way you can monetize data is if there are two options, I pay for this with no advertisement or I use it for free with advertisement. And if we have mm. both of those options, I think it creates a different market for everything. Um, You'd get a different demographic. I mean, the demographic totally would undeniably space. shift. I yeah. can tell you that, so Michelle, I've been, I've been on Clubhouse for a few months since like before... When I got on, there were only about 600,000 people. And one of the things in the conversations was like, okay, there's really two ways this is going to go. They're going to sell our data and it will become what Twitter is. It will become what Facebook is. It will become what is there. Or maybe we add, maybe the the, the founders add a membership. And and a lot of us were sitting in the rooms and we're like, I'd pay $15 a month. I'd pay $30 a month for what it was because- the rooms that you're talking about, like the entrepreneur rooms and the motivation or the spiritual rooms, like 
many of them, the majority were legit and they were, they weren't people scamming. It was people giving like actual value. Right. right. And if you pay, if, if you make it a, a pay thing, you, you weed out some, like you were saying, you weed out some of those other elements. However, from, from the business owner standpoint, it weeds out some of their revenue potential. So it comes down to what they, what their goal is as a business. Listen, we got to talk about what you do before we go. It's been, <laughs> yeah, it's it's been super stellar. We've let's alluded about, to it. We just haven't gotten it. Yeah. True. Let's talk about branding for a second. Sure. Um, as we come to the end of our conversation, we'll give you just a couple of minutes to promote yourself because <laughs> this conversation has been so fun. Um, thank you for indulging the depths and the nuance and the 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 confusing nature that so many people like to easily simplify around these topics and say this is just what it is and it's like yeah but if you really unpack it all there's just more that's going to confuse you so um let's have an honest and, conversation well and i want to i want to say i want to throw a shout out to your tiktoks i i love like so you you create logos you're creating brand design aesthetic kiss my aesthetic podcast mm-hmm. which we've talked mm-hmm. about we just haven't set the name up but like I like I don't create logos. I'm not artistic in any way, shape, or form. But the way you put together a logo and the way you illustrate that through a TikTok is just it's actually relaxing. Like sometimes I've had your lives on while I was doing other work. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's how you do that. I, I could never do it again, but that's pretty sweet. But talk about talk about what you do. Yeah. Uh oh gosh. Okay. So I am a nerd for making things work visually. I think that's really what I love and what I lacked in the art department is even though you're making art, you're not necessarily thinking about how it functions. You're just kind of making it and that's where the, you like that's where the line stops. I'm much more interested in yes, of course, the creation process, but then how does that come to fruition and how does that, you know, outlast that initial concept phase and really kind of become part of a normal dialogue and become part of people's lives. That's really interesting to me. So uh, I'm a big visualization person, as you guys can probably tell. And my favorite thing to do is like that first discovery call with the client and, and kind of jumping into, oh my gosh, you know, I can see what this looks like in my head based on what you're telling me. Like, I think I just kind of have that creativity. Um, So when I'm showing my work and explaining my work, I like to give context as to why that works for that business. Mm. So this logo rocks because this happens. This is commenting on this. This kind of font is giving us this feeling. This color palette is communicating this through color theory. Um, As an art history and fine arts major, I love to kind of pull obscure historical references uh, and kind of find a way to weave that into the branding, um, which I think gives it kind of like a fresh -er, fresh energy because it's, Again, I, I've got at least some schooling in the history of art and, and how we communicate visually. Um, but the brands that I work with and the brands that I have loved working with since posting everything on TikTok really are brands that for me fall under the category of being brag worthy. And I say brag worthy because I haven't really heard that as a term being thrown around. But what I mean by that is they have a quality to them where someone who buys that product or service can't shut up about it. And they mm. want to tell their friends and they want to tell their family. And there's this natural, organic word of mouth quality to whatever that business does that makes it a really fun fit for me um, because I love that potential. And it's also indicates to me that that person sees the value of social media. So before I've said like social media minded brands, but brag worthy is way more fun to say. So that's how no, I said Well, I would say what I understand from listening to you and watching you work a little bit, it's about having clarity mm-hmm. around what it is that your business is delivering and then delivering that at a, at a very intensely focused level. Mm-hmm. And Keith and I right now are going undergoing some, call it deep brand therapy to really understand like who our market is, what they are, like all the things you ask, but we're doing Mm -hmm. that on just like a pen and paper level. Mm -hmm. And then, so we could take that to you to help make that visual and like help that make that real to the eye from an aesthetic standpoint. 
Yeah. And the best design is rooted in research. I'm a big believer of that. Like I, people will list as their brand inspirations, like Apple or Nike. And it's like, yeah, those are great logos, but the logo on its own doesn't mean anything to anyone without context. So it's the combination of all the things that make the brand. It's the combination of the Apple mark on its own. You would think like, oh, it's an Apple produce. We associate these, these logo marks that are, are so classic in our like cultural awareness of them um, with with the product, but that's because of years and years and years of branding. Like I had a client say that one of her brand inspirations was Louis Vuitton. It's like, okay, so if we're going to be talking about Louis Vuitton, what I'm hearing then is you're interested in repeating motifs, patterns, and a focus color palette. And I know that because every time someone's listed Louis Vuitton, that's been what they admire about them is that they have three signature patterns and they're on every piece of merchandise and every piece of clothing that they ever make. And they like the recognizability of Louis Vuitton for those things. So if that's the case, how do we then implement that in their brands and give them a bespoke pattern or set of graphics so that they can communicate that to their audience as well? Mm. So the thing is, we will be hitting you up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Actually, because, because what I realized uh, after stumbling and fumbling at it for a long time is like, I would sit down with you and I wouldn't be able to answer your questions. And that and that won't get to a bragworthy brand. It'll get to right. it. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you can download my brand questionnaire. That would be the first spot. So uh, mkwcreative mkwcreative.co slash brand Q. You can download the questionnaire that I use with all my clients and it's like six pages of questions. Um, But really what I'm getting into in that first discovery strategy call with clients is I know what my follow-up questions are. So they will write out their answer and I've got my own list of questions that are follow-ups to those questions. And sometimes it's as simple as like listing out, if I ask you, what are your three brand adjectives? Then my follow-up to that is like, what are the opposite? of those qualities. Mm. Like, what do we not want to be? Right. So how can we, um, look to the positive and to the negative? How can we find the space of within your competitors on a whole spectrum of where you could stand out versus where you need to kind of fall in line because you find the same audience together. So there's a lot of these kind of positioning, um, market research kind of questions that I think prime us for a really great, really intentional brand design. That's not just pretty, but functional. Um, let's, uh, we, we have to ask the last question. Um, we do, even though I feel like you've already given what would be a couple of amazing answers for it, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Uh, we always end with, what do you want to leave this audience with? Ooh, I think it's, I think be a good person, do a good job is the theme for me. Mm. Um, because that pretty much covers all your bases. Um, and by be a good person being the first part of that sentence, the do be, do a good job is the secondary portion. So to me, it's not as important as being a good person, but being a good person looks like doing what's right, sticking up for the underdog, being humble, uh, being willing to learn, being willing to admit when you're wrong, constantly kind of like evolving, constantly kind of looking to improve yourself and improve the world around you. That to me is being a good person. And then doing a good job is is following up on what you say you're going to do, um, being honest, being transparent, uh, and being productive. I think productivity is is part of that too. Of doing a good job is is giving it your 110 percent effort. 